Welcome to a very different edition of Buzzed in Baltimore. Um, I am on a Zoom call with Brendan Dore and Eric Foy, the co-owners of Dutch Courage. Thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast in such a weird, strange time in our lives. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Jess. Yep. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, I mean, how are you guys? I guess we should just start there. Like, how are you feeling on a daily basis? What's kind of going on? think we're doing well i mean we've got a roof over our head we've got food we got clothing it's a weird time um just keeping our heads up yeah doing fine staying healthy washing hands a lot um trying not to touch my face yeah no it's just so crazy i feel like on one hand you're counting your blessings and on the other hand you're trying not to freak out about all the negativity that you hear in the news so it's like this constant battle at least for me of like feeling good and feeling bad but I, I wanted to talk to you guys because um, we'd, I'd originally had this idea because Dutch Curves has just opened and I wanted to interview you guys about the bar. But also now I think it's really important to remind people how to still support their bars and restaurants in their community and their bartenders and sure, the sure. most vulnerable hourly workers. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about the bar. We'll talk about ways to support and let people know that they can come get to-go cocktails still and, and you guys are doing takeout and, and all that stuff. I guess I wanted to sort of start and have you guys talk about the beginning of your friendship and, and how you met. Um, I don't know who wants to take it, Brendan or Eric, but talk about the first time you laid eyes on each other. What was that like? Really? Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about it or should I sure. talk about yeah. it? You're, the one, who um, moved, you're I, the one who moved to Baltimore. We had a mutual thre- uh, friend through college here at Peabody. Hang on uh, one second. Eric, I'm going to let you tell your joke. Hey, Eric, how'd you get to Baltimore? U-Haul. Boom. Wait. Boom. That's the joke. That's the joke. Everybody always goes, yo, Eric, how'd you get to, how'd you get to, what brought you, or what brought you to Baltimore? What brought you to Baltimore? And then Eric goes, U-Haul. But I'm bumped. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, No, you know, as I was moving in uh, with my roommate, Brendan came over to help us unload the uh, U-Haul truck and, uh, you know, started talking to me about you know, what I was doing. And he's like, you need a job. And I was like, I do. And, uh, Brian was familiar with the city and he'd worked in a couple of different restaurants and, uh, I had very little restaurant experience, but it's, it's a good place to start. And so he drove me around Mount Vernon and, uh, he's like, Oh, I know the man drove over at the Alabar. And so we walked in there and that's where I cut my teeth is at the Alabar. And then, um, Brennan just kept coming over to the house. So we kind of became friends. And so you, you didn't really have restaurant experience, but Brendan, at that point, you had been working in, in bars and restaurants, right? Yeah. When I uh, started college, I decided, oh, I'd always worked in like retail in mm-hmm. high school and stuff like that. And then I was like, oh, you know, bars, restaurants, that's where you make money when you're in college, right? Sure. Let me go get a job in a bar and a restaurant. And I went to a really fancy restaurant and walked in. Well, not really, really fancy, but fancy enough. And walked in and said, oh, I'd like to, you know, apply to get a job here. And they're like, first of all, how old are you? And I was like, oh, I'm 17, about to be 18. And they're like, well, you're not really old enough to serve and you have zero restaurant experience. But, uh, but I ended up getting, walking out of there with the job anyway. And very quickly, uh, as soon as I got to be 18, um, I got to start working on the restaurant had like a pub side and like a fine dining side. I got to serve on the pub side and I still can remember the first time I brought somebody a Savion Blanc hmm. when they asked for a Cabernet Savion. The Savion part was very confusing. Yeah, well, you got the one part, right? I did. I got half of it, right? And, and I was like, no, oh, this is the wine you brought. But yeah, eventually I learned stuff. I started really hanging around the bar side more. Um, plus... Uh, Everybody on the other side, on the like fancy side of the restaurant, didn't really like, they all were like different caliber servers at that time. Right. And so that also seemed like uh, pub side, fine dining side. And so, uh, I don't know. I just always gravitated to the bar, hanging around the, hanging around the bartender, asking him stuff, why he's doing things the way he's doing it. And then eventually I came to Baltimore when I decided I was going to do a degree at Peabody. 
and just kept working in bars and restaurants. Worked at the Owl Bar, and that's how uh, you know I helped Eric get a job there. Um, from there, I went to I guess the Black Olive. Um, worked at the Black Olive for a while, and that was right when they were like expanding the Black Olive too to make a bigger bar. So I remember a few nights kind of being more stationed almost behind the bar because I knew how to make drinks right. and things like that. And even though most of the sales there is wine. And then eventually uh, ended up at Ixia. You know, I went from, bounced around to a couple places, didn't really feel like I found a home, and then ended up at Ixia. And from there, more or less was at Ixia until B&O, and then B&O to, to uh, here at no. Dutch Courage. Yeah, and you guys worked together at B&O for many years. Um, yeah, and at Ixia. And at Ixia, right. When did you sort of realize, and, and why do you guys think you work together so well? Is it like a yin-yang relationship? Is it, are you guys alike in a lot of ways? Like, what's the dynamic there? I think we do uh, balance each other out pretty well. Like, uh, Brian likes to take chances, and I like guarantees, and sometimes we kind of just meet in the middle. I think that's, you know, that's really what it is. He and I, we've worked on a couple of different projects together and we've been successful. So why not try something a little bit bigger? Yeah. So how, when was yeah. the first, do you guys remember the first conversation you had? Like we need, we should open our own place. Um, well, for, for me, it had been something I've been thinking about a long time. Even back in the Ixia days, I was starting to talk about maybe like opening a wine bar and shop kind of like 13.5, kind of like uh, Chesapeake Wine Company down in Canton. Um, something casual where you can come in and get bottles to go, but you can also just sit down and have wine. But then like the cocktail world totally sucked me in by doing competitions and getting to travel and stuff. And so then I, uh, quickly my idea of like wine bar shop became like cocktail bar. You know, a lot of time passed of like thinking about it, and, but then doing other things. And then eventually it was just like, I'm not getting any younger here. Like if I'm going to, if I'm going to do a bar where I own the bar, I better like get on this. And so something I started really thinking about, I remember like, I don't know, probably like seven years ago, I actually like you know, had read what Dutch courage was. And I was like, man, that'd be an awesome name for a bar. might've been like five years yeah, ago. Can you explain what it is real quick? Yeah. So what Dutch courage is, is during the 30 years war, the British, basically all of Europe was at war at a certain point in this war. And uh, the British were fighting the Spanish, but the British were in trade with the Dutch and they were drinking um, a lot of Jennifer, uh, the precursor of gin. And they, uh, they would go into battle and they would need this liquid courage, or as they called it, Dutch courage to go you know, fight somebody to the death, I guess, during battle. Um, you know, kind of gory to think no, about a little bit, ass. but, I think it's but cool. at the, but at the same time, uh, you know, it makes a good cocktail bar name. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, we were over in, um, Amsterdam two balls ago and had a lot of neighbor, like however it's pronounced. Yeah, and, your neighbor. um, that, if that would Dutch, give you courage for sure. That stuff is yeah. no joke. Um, and I'm drinking a gin and tonic right now. And I think you guys obviously specialize in gin, um, why that's, but beyond the name, why that spirit and, and sort of what do you think of the perception of gin in the drinking community and how have you hoped to change that? For, for me, it was, I just thought, you know, even five years ago, whiskey was still all the rage. You know, rye had already really hit the market. It was very big um, and growing rapidly. People were really getting into buying all these boutique whiskeys and things like that. But, you know, gin wasn't getting that love. And gin is a classic ingredient in cocktails. Um, there are tons and tons of gin cocktails, and it just makes such a wonderful ingredient in cocktails. And now, you know, over the past 10, 15, 20 years even, we've seen the amount of gin production go from just a few good quality options to now probably, I don't even know what it is, it's probably a few thousand gins produced around the world. So for me, that that's kind of why I thought, you know, let's do something different. Let's make make have a little bit of a niche for ourselves, but also still be appealing to people to come in and have a really great cocktail with with a really fun ingredient that maybe they don't know it much about yet. Yeah, I would say for for me, gin is just it's delicious. But uh, I'm a seasonal drinker and eater, and don't get me wrong, I like a, a whiskey when it's cold and rainy out. But uh, a nice spring day with a gin tonic, and I there's just nothing that tops it. 
Yeah, no, cheers to that. I'm drinking, um, this is Shot Tower and uh, just tonic and a, it's as basic as it gets, but it's cool. something about yeah, it, it works. hits the spot every time. And I, I actually didn't used to like gin. I think I, what everyone kind of goes through was like, oh, I don't really like the juniper, the pine, the, you know, <clears throat> very specific taste. And then Brendan, you were part of this. I think Aaron Joseph was part of this. There was a lot of bartenders that said gin doesn't always have to taste like that. Try this kind or try it with this ingredient or try this cocktail. Absolutely. And it, it's opened my mind. And honestly, now it's one of my favorite spirits because like, I'm always in the mood for it. Like it doesn't have to be a nice spring day, but that's probably the best time. Well, it's also per, uh, very like, it's changeable. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot you can do with it. Yeah. It's so versatile. I mean, I, I've had so many different. What's companies. really cool too right now is that you're seeing also so many gin producers put some gin into barrels, whether they're used whiskey barrels or, you know, Maybe something else, mainly whiskey barrels, I think. But um, but now you now you're getting this like almost you know fuller bodied gin that lends itself to great whiskey cocktails. Um, you know the gin old fashioned is delicious, especially if you're using a gin that is you know been barrel rested. Yeah. So well, it, it's it is becoming more and more diverse because you know, the producers of spirits are getting more and more creative with what they're doing with it. What's like the weirdest out there gin you guys have on the shelves at Dutch Courage? I would say the uh, Gracias Adios. That one is, so Gracias Adios makes mezcal. They're taking their espadine base and aromatizing it with uh, botanicals. It has something like, I'm just going to throw a number out there. I haven't read it. The font is way too small and way too hard to read. Let's just say like somewhere between 20 and 30 different botanicals in it. Um, does that make a great gin? I don't know. Is less botanicals better? Is more botanicals better? Um, I don't know. But it has a lot of, uh, of different botanicals. And it's weird. It's a little funky. It's a little odd. It reminds me a little bit of like a uh, Blanco tequila, mm -hmm. um, just on the nose. You definitely can pick up that agave base on the nose, but I think the botanicals then kind of somehow push it a little more towards uh, towards like a Blanco tequila than a, than a gin or mezcal, but uh, you can still pick up all those interesting botanicals. In it. Yeah, that sounds out there. Eric, would you agree with that or is there one that... I, I was going to mention the same yeah, one. Yeah, that's awesome. So talk about <clears throat> the, the building that you're in is super historical. Uh, the neighborhood that you're in is is really, it's diverse. It's interesting. It's not a bar mecca necessarily where everyone would think to, to go out. Um, not yet. Not yet, exactly. So talk <laughs> about choosing your location and, and where you guys are. Well, first off, we did back and forth a little bit of whether or not we should be in an area where you're getting a lot of foot traffic or whether or not we should be in a, you know, less populated area, a little something that's up and coming. And I, I like the idea of the up and coming and kind of where we ended up was in Old Goucher, which is definitely rapidly changing. There are definitely two new places that are going to open this year, hopefully this year. We'll see how uh, this uh, pandemic affects uh, their opening, but hopefully it doesn't. Yeah. Hopefully they can keep pushing forward right now and uh, and get there. But it, you know, I think this neighborhood has a lot of potential, a lot of growth opportunity. The uh, neighborhood president Kelly Cross is really working hard to bring in people who want to do good things in this neighborhood and want to help make it make it change. So look out 2020, 2021. Goucher is going to be a, a hot area to come to. It already is. I mean, Lane Harlan really paved the way for us all to be here with uh, W.C. Harlan, Clavel, and then, you know, last year she opened Fadensonen, and Larder opened up Sophomore Coffee, and so there's a lot of cool things that are happen happening right here on 23rd Street. Yeah, you could do a little crawl. You could really spend your whole day there. Start with coffee and breakfast and get the Larder for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just make your way. Yeah. We like to say uh, from D.C. to W.C. Oh, I love that. That. Dutch Courage to W.C. Harlan. Yeah, you could do it. You could do it all. Just go right down 23rd. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of another amazing lady besides Lane, um, I love this fun fact that Eleanor Roosevelt once dined in the building where your bar is and you have a cocktail named after her. So that's just, that yeah. like blows my mind, the history of, of this cool building. Yeah, this building was the president of Goucher College, their residence. So if you're not, if you're wondering why Old Goucher is called Old Goucher, it's because this was the original area where Goucher College began. 
the lab school, really beautiful stone building as you come down St. Paul Street right after, right after 23rd. Now it's a school for kids on the spectrum, but it was the original location of Goucher College. Some of the buildings around the area were the dorm rooms, and the building we're in, as I mentioned, was the president of Goucher College's residence. And Goucher being starting out as an all-women's school, you know, first was probably is what brought um, Eleanor Roosevelt up to uh, Baltimore and to Goucher College. And we found out that apparently she had dined here. Yeah, that's so, so cool. Yeah, because she was a big a, women's rights cool thing activist. to tie into. That's so cool. Exactly. Yeah, I love, I love that. And so I think what's cool too, and I know, Eric, I remember you for showing me the bar and being like really psyched that you guys got to design a bar for bartenders. Um, you've worked in so mm -hmm. many spaces and probably learned what not to have. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about what you really wanted to include in your bar? What makes it unique because you were able to build it from scratch and what makes it, you know, easier for you guys to do your job? Sure. Um, I think the, the coolest thing about our um, project is we decided to put in rubber floors. I haven't seen too many bars that have rubber floors, but any bartender will tell you it's a, it's a pain in the ass to uh, hose down mats in January at 3.30 in the morning. Uh, it's, it's just not fun. Yeah. So, uh, and we also want to protect our bodies. And like Brandon mentioned, you know, we're, got, we're not getting any younger. So that was uh, something that was important for us. And that's, that's really been really, really nice. Um, just cutting down on time and taking care of ourselves. Other things, you know, having the bar being open on both ends and so you can really move around and having a little bit more space behind the bar so you can fit some bodies back there. And on busy nights, you know, we can get going pretty quick and it's just nice to have that flexibility. Yeah, it's just, it's really efficient. Yeah. You know, we've got two stations that are identical, so it doesn't matter where you're making cocktails. You know, once the muscle memory is in, you can be blindfolded and still make the same drinks. You guys should try that one. Yeah, day. Eric, <laughs> yeah. Eric uh, worked a lot on actually like the design behind the bar, like where all the equipment layout was. Uh, he even made a, uh, like a to scale diorama at his house. That's, That's amazing. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had time on my was hands. A, a bar pants <laughs> or whatever. From yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Exactly. That's amazing. Um, and so you finally, I mean, this is like your dream, both of you. And you opened yeah. official, was it January or February? I feel like there were some soft openings. Was, we opened, we officially opened on December 20th. Saturday. It was a Saturday, yep. December 20th. Oh, it was December. Okay. I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't remember. So only a few months ago. So, I mean, I can't even imagine the roller coaster of emotions you guys have had in these past few months. You, you open your dream bar. I mean, to me, from, from my perspective, it was a huge hit. It seemed like people were really excited about it. Lots of people were coming. You've had these really talented bartenders coming to work for you. Some private yeah, events. Yeah, we have an awesome staff. Yeah, and you had no idea what 2020 was in store for you. So <laughs> can you talk about just what that has been like just from December 28th until, until now for you guys, just that path emotionally? It's, it's been a lot of hard work, long hours. And I don't know if people realize how long your hours are. And it's, it's fast pace. And it's, uh, it is overwhelming. I think we're, we're doing pretty well. I think we got really good support from the, the community and from the neighborhood. And I believe we also, there's some luck involved in that. Just, I, I think we're off to a great start. This is unfortunate. Um, having the liquor store definitely helps. And I, I think that we're going to be able to, to weather the storm and, and be here to make cocktails for a long time and hopefully become a, an institution for the city. Yeah. I think back on when we were in build out phase and things would like, it was also like hurry up. It was always hurry up and wait. It was like a bunch of things would happen and we'd be like, all right, it's all going to happen now. Like they're going to get in here and they're going to get it all done. And then weeks would go by and we'd be like, what is happening? Why are they not in here? come on, like, let's get some stuff done. Like they said, they were going to, you know, are talking about like contractors and all the different people that you have to have come through. And I think it's like, everybody says, you know, like um, just getting all these different people scheduled and they're working on other projects. It, it's, it's hard to nail them all down and get them all in here and get it done. And, you know, they wanted it to be done, but you know, I guess they're just always working on other projects. So I feel like that emotion that like roller coaster of emotion that I definitely personally had during that time 
has slightly helped me during the pandemic hmm. in the way that I think it made me just realize that time, I've always thought about time this way, that time is going to pass and we're going to get by this. And, you know, whether it's a hard shift and you're like, you know, whenever the, the clock ends and the guests are gone, that time is going to come. Um, so eventually that time is going to come where this pandemic is going to be beyond us. We one day will be back to normal work. We'll be able, you know, and it'll probably still come in phases, but we'll, we'll be back one day. So I've thought about it a lot lately, um, how during the build out feels a little bit like this mm. because we just, we couldn't get things going. It felt there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of like stress and a lot of desire to get things happening. And, you know, day by day, I just keep finding things to do. And there's actually a lot of things that people keep reaching out for us to do and want to be part of. Um, so I don't know. I'm just finding a lot of things to do and keep myself busy and also trying to spread them out. So I'm not like, got to get it all done now. Right. Cause you do have a time. And I mean, I think that's so interesting what you said about your perspective. Like you probably learned a lot of patience in the build out and now you're having to exercise that patience that you, that you learned. Yeah. I think I learned patience in the build out more pay. I learned to be even more patient during the build out, um, which is helping me. Eric, would you say that's (laughs) true? Did Brendan learn patience? I, I I think so a a little bit. Um, and yeah, he's, he's absolutely correct. Like the, the build out was, was really hard. Um, and you know, I think about things that are out of your control, like, like where we are right now, but the city being hacked and trying to get permits Mm. and trying to get about this time last year. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was awful. It, It was just completely out of your control and there's nothing you could do about it. And you just couldn't understand why isn't this happening? I've done everything I need to do. And just why don't more people work better? <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess. That's yeah. You know, so it's, you know, I think about people that are in the middle of uh, their build outs now that are getting ready to open restaurants and how this has affected them that they, they've completely stopped and they're revving their engines and in, in neutral, just like we were a year ago. And it's, it's, it's not easy. Right. Oh God. No, I can't, yeah. my heart goes out to everybody, whether you have a, had a restaurant for 50 years or you just opened one or you were about to open one, or, I mean, it's putting everyone's, everyone's plans on pause, no matter what. Yeah. I think of all, I, I often think when I think about the build out and all the energy and just emotion we put into just doing this, uh, think about all the seminars that we've ever gone to where bartenders who've opened their own bars or just, or just um, restaurateurs who maybe they probably worked in the restaurant business at some level, but um, they now own bars and restaurants and they're like, don't do it. (laughs) You will hate life. And there's a bit of truth there. I don't want to like say that, you know, Oh, they're wrong. Um, And I don't want to say they're a hundred percent right. But uh, it is way harder than you would think. Um, and as Eric said, sometimes you're like, why don't people work better? It's, it's kind of true. You're like, why are there so many people out there who like make it so hard to just do what you're trying to get done? Like you, you jump through all the hoops, you give them all the paperwork, and then they still come back at you and they're like, oh, I forgot to give you this page too to fill out. And you're like, are you serious? And I'll see you in a week. And you're like, and then they're like, oh yeah, and I'm taking next week also. I'll see you in two weeks. You know, it just always happens. So, so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Opening a bar is a really hard thing. Um, but there's a lot of rewards to it. I think the thing that they should all tell you though is if you're not used to working a lot of hours, um, you better be prepared because bars and restaurants uh, take up all of your time. Right. I mean, you guys, it's not like, I don't even know when you sleep to be honest, or when you were sleeping during that build out. Cause it sounded like it was just your entire life was wrapped up in that. And you both were also working for a lot of it too. So for a while. For a while yeah. Um, what, but talk about those rewards though. I mean, you were, uh, you know, open for, for a few months before this, this happened. And, and was there a moment where you were like, okay, this was worth it. I mean, a, a couple times, you know, I remember, like on a busy night looking at Brendan or we'd be in the office. And I said, I, I think we're doing okay. You know, like in, in the beginning of any business, like you can't really wrap your, your head around like 
how how are we doing what kind of projections like you know are we making the minimum like what is the minimum every day and you still and, don't, uh, and you still don't know i mean it's we're learning that even now i think yeah I've, i have friends that are you know back home that ask about the business they're not in this business and they're like what do you mean you you just don't know the number like numbers don't lie and i'm like i've got 30 checks that are going out every day and then i you know i have no idea what money's coming in and you know it's even i i've got a a cpa that's like well you're you're not gonna know that for a right. while it changes so, every day i mean every hour yeah, yeah. new business new business there are just so many variables and i mean, and i don't mean like like variables about affecting guests coming in because that's a whole different set of variables it's just so many different purveyors you work with so many different things happening there's a thousand things you didn't even realize you were going to have to buy that suddenly you have to buy and you're like you know where is that money coming from and it's just it is a lot and we've been doing this a long time and we've known about all those things it's just still the even the things that we knew we would have to get and just were like way in the back of our mind now we have some of those things, but we just didn't even, you know, they didn't get written down on some of the lists. And the, the biggest lesson I can take away from this project is if you're planning on opening a bar or restaurant, it will take twice as long and cost twice as much. Yeah. Everybody says that and it's, and it's, true. it's totally true. Well, and then of course you couldn't predict a global pandemic was going to occur. Um, so how did you guys decide? I mean, you basically had to completely upend your business model. Um, and how did you guys decide to turn into a liquor store slash to go cocktail shop? I mean, I don't even know. Um, I mean, our license already, we are the light type of license we have. Um, we are allowed to sell bottles, beer, wine to go. Um, we just didn't want to, we first wanted to get our feet like under us as far as being a cocktail bar. What, what our main focus is here. Um, so we definitely made a few sales to a few like friends who like were like, Oh, you have that kind of license. Don't go in there. And then we'd sell them a pack of a six pack of beer to go or something like that. But we weren't really doing a lot of that. We only did that maybe a half a dozen times since we opened. But then we found out that we could very, very quickly found out we could stay open as a, uh, as a spirit shop. It was a bottle shop as we called it. And then we were like, all right, what about cocktails to go? Can we do that? Because some people were starting to do that, but there was also a lot of uh, things happening where it was sounding like people were getting in trouble for yeah, that. People started uh, advertising that they were going to do it before they were legally allowed, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I had talked to the neighborhood president because he's very well politically connected and a couple other people and kind of got a little bit of an email chain going up to the state comptroller to find out if it was 100% legal. And finally, they made a comment on it that it is legal, that they're just opening it up, that as long as it's in some kind of sealed container, you should be fine. So to be perfectly honest, we were going to do it under the table. Um, and just like if you just came in and bought a bottle of gin, we might be like, oh, by the way, there's we have also this, this. And, yeah. yeah, this option. But now that it's legal, oh, yeah, we're doing it. We're, we're making a bunch of different bottle cocktails, bag cocktails, all kinds of things. He's joking. We were never going to do that. <laughs> On the record, they were never <laughs> going to do that, guys. <laughs> never. Um, it's been pretty cool to see how um, the state government has allowed, you know, how they're saying liquor stores are essential businesses, how they're allowing alcohol delivery, how they're realizing that um, this kind of stuff, people are going to, you know, risk, go out and risk their health to get this stuff. So why not make it an essential business, make it safe for you guys to stay open, but it's also for consumers who, you know, it's, a, it's an essential need. It's, it's groceries, it's drinks, it's, it's all of that. So I, did, I do think the state government response has been pretty interesting. So talk about what you guys are yeah. doing with takeout. Like what's, uh, what's available for people? How can they order it? How do they pick it up? How does that all work? Sure. Um, so uh, we're allowing guests to come inside. If they want to do uh, like a pickup service, all they have to do is call Dutch Courage and we can tell them what we have available. But typically throughout the day, it's either one of us are here and, uh, you know, we'll probably have like 10 to 12 guests per day. So the space is empty um, and we do a pretty good thorough job cleaning up. And, you know, at any time anyone enters, we just say, please don't touch anything. If you like, I'll get it for you. And uh, we wipe it down and, and bag it up for them. And then we've also been bottling cocktails uh, in like unique ways. 
that are, you know, I guess appealing, cute or sexy. And so you can go home and have a, a nice cocktail experience. And like I mentioned before, the, the neighborhood has really supported us. The community supported us. Um, and it's just, it's, it's been really helpful, extremely helpful. Yeah. What are some challenges that you guys have run into just being a takeout business? I mean, you're learning on your feet like every day, I guess. I think the biggest challenge is just uh, getting enough people in here to make this worth it. I mean, we have lots of different options. Um, if there's anything that we don't have that you would like to purchase, you know, help us out a little, even a little bit by buying a bottle, just let me know. You know, I'm, I'd be happy to order some stuff. I've already done that for a few friends. Um, just ordered some very specific bottles that they want that I don't typically carry so they can enjoy it at home. But I think, I guess the biggest challenge is just, uh, just getting people in the door. Yeah. But that's a cool, that's good to know. Like now's the time if you want, if you're curious about a weird spirit or you want advice on something, this is the, sure. I mean, when else in our history, can we go into a bar and say, Hey, you don't have this on your shelf, but I want it. Can you get it for me? I yeah. mean, that's never happened. So yeah. that's pretty incredible. You can typically do that at most liquor stores, but you know, it's just creating that, uh, that relationship with somebody to actually get them to order you a special bottle. Um, yeah. But then you have so, talented bartenders get, that'll tell you what to do with it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cool experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I know that, um, Brendan, you're the president of the Baltimore bartenders guild and bartenders right now. I mean, anyone in, in food and Bev is, is hurting, um, immensely. They're hourly workers. They went from getting money every hour, every week to zero dollars. Um, yeah. Most people don't have health insurance. Um, just, I mean, the list goes on of why this is catastrophic for people in the service industry. What is your advice for consumers who want to support their bartenders? What has been your advice for your bartending community to still try to stay afloat during this time? Are people coming to you asking these questions? Um, I've definitely been involved in a lot of different things, different, uh, you know, I don't know, fundraisers, way to build money for bartenders. Right now at the Baltimore Bartenders Guild, we actually started a, uh, a bartender relief fund, actually probably like a, a year, maybe up to two years ago. And it was just something, it was a small little extra account of money that we were like, all right, if somebody's sick or injured on the job, you know, it needs a little bit of financial support, you know, the bar guild, you know, we can make a, you know, a little uh, show of being able to provide them with a little bit of uh, financial resources to to get from us. But we never thought, you know, no one prepared for this. Mm -hmm. So why would we have suddenly, you know, $100,000 sitting off, you know, at our disposal to use? So we have a little bit of money in our account. And actually tomorrow, I think tomorrow is the last day that our, our members can reach out to us and let us know that they want some funds, um, but we're going to release um, about $10,000 into that account separately. Uh, and then that money is going to go out to all the bartenders who right now, I, all the bartenders who are members, it'll go to, to the ones who really need money right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not going to be a lot, but hopefully it'll be a little bit of money that can help them get through this next month. You know, whether it's talking to their landlord and trying to get the, the rent, lowered a little bit just for, you know, Hey, can you cut my rent in half for the month? You know, because I know everybody has been talking about how, you know, Oh, but landlords, you know, they have to be paying mortgages. Well, hopefully they're doing their due diligence and calling their banks and saying, Hey, I own X amount of properties and I have so many different people who rent space for me. You know, I need a break on my mortgage. Um, right. So hopefully everybody's doing that with all of their businesses. You almost hope it's like um, a trickle up effect in that sense. Yeah, almost a trickle up yeah. effect. Exactly. Hopefully that the money that we be able to give out to the bartenders tomorrow. Oh, that's incredible. Over the, over the weekend, that'll help them out. But then the USBG, the US Bartenders Guild, they have a big fund. I know that I think... I'm not even sure the exact number of money, but I feel like I've read, you know, some brands have been able to give them $100,000. Some brands have even given the U.S. Bartenders Guild a million dollars. And you don't even have to be a guild member, a USBG member. Uh, I think you just have to be a working bartender. Um, and you can reach out to the USBG and just say, hey, I need some financial help. I think they're, they're working on ways to get bartenders funds. You know, you're, we're seeing bartenders be really clever with videos of themselves making cocktails that then, hey, you know, if you're going to watch my video, here's my 
my Venmo, and, uh, you know, right. Here's my, here's my PayPal account. Send me some money since you watch my video and you're like, and hopefully you're liking what I'm making here. We're seeing the virtual happy hours like that as well. And then there's just all kinds of different, there's just so many different funds. Dave Seal, mm-hmm. he, he, he's done a great job with the, uh, what is it, the Baltimore I think it's like restaurant relief fund or something. Baltimore restaurant relief fund. It's on Facebook. That's been, he's got a ton of resources on there. Even some of the big like uh, social media, bar industry related social media um, sites like punch.com is doing a promotional thing where I think you have to basically kind of send in like an application to tell them who you are, what bar you're at, and you're going to do a video and they're going to promote it that week. And, once again, your Venmo or something's probably going to pop up. I'm not exactly sure how it's running, but I'm assuming that then your Venmo is going to be up there and they're going to put it out there and like, Hey, you know, here's, you know, Joe in San Francisco in whatever bar. And, you know, he's going to show you how to make this cocktail tonight. If you want to watch it, you know, send him some money. Well, Um, where I work, we're putting it together right now, but we're doing a big website called support local and it's going to have, different a drop down with all the different cities and then links for each bar um with separate tabs for if you have merch if you have gift cards and then if there's a specific venmo account um to make sure all my bartender baltimore bartender people are represented on that i know jose cuervo is doing um some matches for donations i, I just read about that today uh, yeah there's, there's I have, i'm really i'm really happy to see that some of the really big brands are doing stuff because um i mean this is affecting everybody. It clearly is affecting them. It's affecting, you know, they have thousands of employees globally, some of these big brands, um, you know, and then it trickles down into the distributors and the ambassadors and, you know, all the different specialists out there who, you know, basically end up getting this, all this product behind our bar. And so I'm sure it's affecting them, but they have a lot more money yeah, than they us. They have quite the cushion, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of them, some of them have quite the cushion, you know, and and, I'm, and I can't, you know, speculate as to how big or small their cushion is, but I would assume that some of these brands have a much bigger cushion than than any of us can imagine. Yeah. So there, I'm really glad that I'm really glad that they're doing things for the bar industry. Yeah, and there's uh, virtual tip jars, right? That people can. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a Baltimore virtual tip jar where you can just. You know, hey, you want to send a bartender, you know, 20 bucks, you're not going out tonight. You know, you would have gone out and spent 50 bucks, right. send them 20 bucks and toast to them and say, hey, here's 20 bucks for you, for you to help get through. And at the end of the episode, I will um, list a bunch of links. Um, you guys can provide me with everything we talked about and I'll make sure everyone has those links. So if they want to contribute sure. to you guys, to BBG, to national stuff, to Baltimore Tip Jar, um, there's a lot of ways to do that. We put together like, hey, here are some local parks you can go for a hike in or, you know, Hey, here's a virtual museum. You can go walk, you can go like do a virtual tour of a museum. I love that. Yeah, no, that's just, just to keep yourself active. Cause there's, I'm sure people are going stir crazy. crazy. Yeah. That's all the content we're doing right now because I was always writing about food, drinks and events. So now <laughs> we're writing about virtual ways to enjoy all those things, but also getting outside, um, what Amy Ward's doing with her fit- fitness videos. That's huge. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many things. I listened to uh, bird calls the other day. Oh, like, <laughs> I listened to like bird, yeah, like, I listened to like 50, 50 different bird calls. Was yeah. that soothing? It was, it was fun to listen to them. I would have to admit. Are you guys picking up any hobby besides listening to bird calls? Are you picking up any hobbies in this time? <laughs> I, I've been building a like putt putt, like courses in my apartment with like ramps and different artwork to, you know, going under the bridges and stuff, different themes. Yeah. How are you, what are you ma- using to build these things? Just wood. Yeah. Are, are you a uh, yoga mat, you know, some uh, shoe boxes. Do you think your golf furniture. game has improved? No. <laughs> I spend all the time on the course and then play like three holes and then I'm done. Yeah. No, I love that though. You have a it, little, it passes the time. You got to do something. We, yeah. We, I was telling Brennan, we've been doing puzzles. I mean, I'm reading more. Danny's baking and selling bread. It's who knows what's going on. But yeah. It's definitely inspired some strange hobbies. Um, so before we get to the drinks, I just wanted to say, just wanted to ask like, any kinds of things you guys are thinking of doing in the future, ideas you're toying around with. I mean, this might last for at least another couple months, everybody's saying. Um, so how are you looking towards the future in the next couple of months? What have you talked about? Um, we have talked about um, possibly doing some pop-up 
food options here. Um, you know, so many people are doing to go and you know, some of those businesses, it's a very regular like to go thing. And so we talked about maybe seeing, um, if we could do a couple like pop-up food things. Um, we have a really big courtyard out back where, uh, people wouldn't even have to come into the bar. Um, they could just pull up to the courtyard, uh, via the alley or just on the side on 23rd street and we could just bring food out to you from there and uh you know keep it as safe as possible um so that's one one thing we've talked about we haven't uh we haven't totally nailed down all the logistics of that but that's an option yeah but, that courtyard but, is so awesome too it'd be nice to yeah, use it's, it <laughs> it's gonna be great once uh once we can reopen and let people enjoy the space out back yeah for sure Eric, did you have any thoughts on the next couple months? Yeah, just um, piggyback on, you know, the, the pop-up idea is just, you know, collaborating with other people. You know, some people don't have venues where they can do things out of, or some people could have food trucks. That would be pretty cool. Um, you know, the next couple months, it's, it's tricky. It's like, you don't want to spend a bunch of money to make money, but at the same time, you know, you have to do certain things to, to stay ahead of the curve. So our courtyard space, you know, we're gearing up to, to get that all fixed up nice and pretty for, for the warm weather. Um, so it's, it's a little tricky. Do we, do we invest in that now or do we hold off for another month because it takes time? Right. But yeah, I, I think getting some gardening done in the back would be fun. You know, lots of plants and it's being outside. That's a nice there. There's another hobby. You're just racking them up, all the new hobbies. Yeah, you know, that way we can also get our staff involved as well, you know, give them something to do and you know, bringing a few of them to help plant some stuff and, you know, help make the space out back nice and pretty. And then everybody's outside, be able to space everybody out a little bit, keeping safe distance. Yeah. And then obviously using, you know, what you plant for garnishes and drink food. Yeah, and... That's definitely something we've been talking about a lot of. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Well, I, I so much admire you guys. I know how hard you've worked for, to open the bar and to now keep it open. Um, your hard work is not going unnoticed by anybody. So thank you for what you do. Um, and now I think we're going to make a, a couple drinks. Okay. I think he's got it. All right. Let me know if these categories are like, if you're shoehorning stuff in, if you just want to make whatever, that's fine with me. But um, the oh. first one is the best seller. So do you have a cocktail that's just like your most popular that, that flies off the shelves for people? We have a couple. Um, I'm going to do the one that uh, I can definitely replicate based off of the ingredients that I have here and are available. Yeah. So I'm going to do the Jefferson Sour. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me, I gotta, cause I'm tethered to my laptop. I'm gonna grab <laughs> we're we're learning as we go here with the Zoom podcast. Yep. I'm gonna grab a glass. So, so we have a lot of vintage glassware here at Dutch Courage. So um, one of the things that we do at Dutch Courage is we actually do a little bit of batching of our ingredients. Uh, this is really just to help speed up production. So when you order a cocktail, you as the guest get your cocktail faster because what do we all want when we go to the bar? We want our cocktails. We don't want to be sitting there waiting for a bartender to be like, and I pick this and I skewer that and this <laughs> and that and that and this. Oh man, I need a few more ingredients. Hang on, you're gonna have to follow me. That's fine. So you need some lemon. <laughs> Lemon peel. How impractical would this be if every time you made a drink, you had to carry a laptop around with you? I know, seriously, it could be pretty impractical, but we're going to make it happen. So as I was talking about, batch cocktail ingredients. So this is our Jefferson Sour Mix. It's, the, uh, it's a sage-infused gin. So we take sage leaves and infuse them into Heyman's uh, Royal, Do Royal Dock Gin, which is a navy strength gin. And then we use another ingredient called Royal Combier. Royal Combier is an orange liqueur, kind of similar to like Cointreau, but it has a little herbal elixir in it. So that really marries up nicely with, with the sage, the, uh, the sage yeah. and the gin. So we use an ounce of each. So that is two ounces going into our, our tin. We use just a little bit of honey to sweeten, to add a little bit of sweet. Oh, I love honey um, gin, it's so good. So a little bit of honey syrup, and then just fresh lemon juice. And everybody always goes, oh, I don't like sweet cocktails. But it's just like, you know, bartending is just like cooking. It all depends on how much uh, salt you put on your food. You know, if you, you never think about, uh, you know, a chef listing salt on the menu. Right. 
but our ingredients, like sweet ingredients, are often flavors that we're trying to put into the cocktail. So when you see honey, when you see a syrup or something like that on the cocktail list, it's just adding flavor. So always think so about that when you, when you go to order. Don't be scared. And we don't mind if you ask, but it, does, it is something that people ask often. So some ice in the cocktail. Now we're gonna shake it. So you don't have to shake it for too long. Just enough to get everything nice and cold. Uh, we're gonna strain it out into our glass. Uh, yeah, everybody talks about your glassware, all my friends. They're like, <laughs> I wanna steal it, but I won't, but it's so cool. <laughs> so, lemon peel, and express the lemon peel over the glass. And then we're gonna use, we're gonna be extra fun and fancy. If you, uh, if you do any sewing at home, these are peaking shears. Oh my God, amazing. And so we use these little shears to sometimes trim some of our cocktail garnishes. So you have, see that pretty That's, little yeah. edge now? See how nice that looks? It's scalloped. And then for all the miniature fans of miniature things, these are little miniature clothespins. And so boom. And it's on oh, the glass and that holds it. Look how pretty that looks. It looks so good. Yeah. So that's the Jefferson um, Sour. Why do, you, so this, why do you think it's so popular? Um, I think it's a simple cocktail. I mean, it's, it's, it's gin, it's a cordial, it's lemon, and it's a sugar uh, being honey. Um, it's bright. It's refreshing. It's not a lot of ingredients to wrap your brain around. I think sometimes we bartenders love to try to recreate the wheel by, by you know, fat washing this and infusing and tincture that and, and all these different little things right. and 15 ingredients. And do you really taste the 15 and different ingredients? Does it, does, you know, seven, <laughs> six through 15, <laughs> do, do they really matter in the cocktail? Right. I forget who, I know who told me that, who told me, but I can't remember the fashion designer who he was quoting but I'm just gonna tell, say the quote. They were quoting a fashion designer. My friend Jared was like, oh, I always like to think cocktails in the way of like this fashion designer and what they say. Oh, I get myself ready. I put on my whole outfit and then I take one thing It off. was Coco Chanel. Oh, it was, that's yeah. what I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was Coco Chanel. And so that's how I feel about cocktails. Yeah. I feel like bartenders love to build cocktails and put everything, you know, throw even the kitchen sink at the cocktail. And it's like, do all those ingredients really matter in your drink? Right. So, well, cheers. We'll yeah. do a virtual cheers. This is what, cheers, <laughs> cheers. This is why I think the Jefferson Sour works so well. Oh, I wish I could taste it through the screen, but my gin and tonic will have to suffice. Tastes good, tastes really good. Well, I was thinking for the last one for your personal fave, we could do what you like, or you could talk about the cocktails that are available that, for people to come by, just so if they want, if they're craving all okay. these cocktails after um, One cocktail that is available is, so here's one of our bottled cocktails. So this one is, it, we, I renamed it the in-house old fashioned, but it is barrel aged gin. I added some sherry because I love sherry and I love like the nuttiness and the dry qualities that sherry really brings. Most sherry is dry, by the way. Everybody thinks of like sherry being their grandmother's sweet little thing that they drink. 90 plus percent of sherry produced is actually dry. And so there's some Oloroso sherry in here and then some cinnamon syrup and some cardamom bitters. So this cocktail without the sherry was created by our badass bartender, Ryan Sparks. Yeah. And so on the menu, we call it the DCOF, the DC the Dutch Courage Old Fashioned. But since I had a little sherry, I renamed it the in-house old fashioned since you should be in your house when you're enjoying this at home yeah. <laughs> since it's a bottle of cocktail. So is it as easy as just pouring it over ice when you get home or what do you tell people? Yeah, so this is all batched up. It's all the ingredients in there. I recommend that everybody put it in the fridge so it's cold. Um, because then when you pour it over ice, you don't want it to dilute down more. Um, we've actually already taken the liberty of diluting it for you a little bit. So it's as if we already stirred it here. And yeah, so it's all those ingredients in here, ready to go. Just pop it in your fridge or throw it, you can throw it in your freezer. It's not gonna freeze. There's so much alcohol in here. It's definitely not gonna freeze. Um, you just take it home, put it in uh, your freezer and you're ready to enjoy it. Break out your favorite like rocks glass or whatever, put some ice in it. Or if you got big cubes, throw a big cube on it. We even sell some big cubes. Oh, nice. Buy a big cube, a bunch of big cubes from us, you can. And then uh, just pour a little of this over. This guy is about four, should give you four cocktails. 
but I don't judge how many cocktails you think this has. Could be one, could be. If you want it to be one, exactly. <laughs> you want it to be one, it could be one. We're not judging but on this podcast. We're not all. judging. This is this could be four. That sounds delicious. And how much is that if, if people want to come and buy that? Um, if I remember right, I think it is 52. Okay. So we're just charging what we would for the cocktails. Um, it is definitely um, helping us make a little bit more money. Um, the bottles we're selling at like a retail cost. Um, the, the cocktails we're selling at uh, more of like your bar cost. Yeah, but if you like put four cocktails, I mean, when you think about yeah. what I keep telling people and telling myself is everyone's like, oh, I'm saving so much money by not going to the bar. And I'm like, well, everything that you're saving, people are losing. So yeah. think about it like that. And if yeah. you can afford it, uh, you know. Yeah, if you can afford it and come out. Also, if, if there isn't something that we have made, like right now we have, I think, six or seven, maybe even eight different cocktails bagged or in a bottle. But if you don't see something or if you, yeah, you don't see something that you want and you're like, Hey, can you make like the other day I had a regular come in and just want a martini. And so I literally just bottled him up uh, some martinis to be able to take home. That's amazing. Gin martini, I assume. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we still have olives. We still have some of our intensely pickled, um, Onions, if you're into Gibsons, they are seriously strong, by the way, and funky. Um, so beware if you ever get a Gibson here. They are crazy intense. And you can smell them from like 10 feet away. Uh, what I wouldn't give to have a martini at a bar right now. But I mean, that's the next best thing, right? Is to get it to go <laughs> and, and have it at your house. Yeah, and... exactly. Thank you guys so much for, again, doing the podcast. I just really appreciate your time. And uh, Brendan kind of went through and showed us um, hopefully what we can enjoy again at the bar, also what we, people can enjoy now to go. And my hearts are out to everybody who's, who's working, who's working at home, who doesn't have a job. I just, I appreciate everything you guys are doing for the industry right now. It's really amazing to see the support going on within the industry. It's really cool. Well, thank you. We're just trying to survive like everybody right now, trying to stay healthy, give everybody space. Yeah. Um, but also give everybody things they want to drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. That's your main job, right? Well, thank yeah. you, Brendan and Eric so much. Um, at the end of the podcast, I'll put a segment with all the links and everything we talked about for ways to contribute and just best of luck in the next couple months. Okay. Thanks, Jess. We appreciate, uh, you having us on. Thank you. Of course. All right. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're interested in buying bottles or bash cocktails to go, Dutch Courage is open from 12 to 6 p.m. daily, and you can see updates on the bar's Instagram at Dutch Courage Gin Bar. As Brendan mentioned, he put a really helpful resource guide together for the Baltimore Bartenders Guild. It's a mix of resources for people in the service industry to help them file for unemployment, get rent assistance, take care of career development and classes at this time. But there's also a lot of links for how we as consumers can support bartenders with virtual tip jars, GoFundMe pages, gift cards, and more. All of this can be found at bit.ly slash bartenders. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Please support the local service industry however you can and stay safe out there.